Have you ever felt like the work you were supposed to love is instead sucking your soul and you aren't making the impact you always dreamed of making? If so, you aren't alone. From broke and underemployed to six figures plus, powered only by daydreams and grit, I realized I was burning out and my values of freedom, purpose, and making an impact were taking the backseat to my wallet. I realized that I needed to build my own field guide to awesome from the inside out. So I gave it all up and I traveled the world to rediscover what was most important to me and create a business that filled my pockets, filled my soul, and allowed me to multiply my impact. But the question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey and find out as we build our community of experts and share the secrets of success from the inside out. My name is Trina Sarekia, and this is the Field Guide to Awesome. Welcome back to the Field Guide to Awesome, folks. I talk with multi-six and seven-figure entrepreneurs. We dive into where they started, the struggles they had along the way, and the unique way they think differently that has led to their current level of success. In my last episode, I spoke with Italina Kirkness. Italina is an online presence expert and speaker. She helps her clients upgrade their online presence through LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. She and her team of social media managers help you gain more visibility online, driving a steady stream of clients to your business. Italina is trained as an attorney. She has a Juris Doctorate degree and has legal background. However, like many recovering attorneys, Italina is now practicing her passion, online branding and marketing. We spoke about how she left her career in law and accidentally created a social media marketing business. It was a fascinating episode, folks. So if you missed it, make sure to go back and check it out. But don't go yet, folks. My next guest is Vince Warnock. Vince Warnock is an award-winning business and marketing strategist, coach, author, and host of the Chasing the Insights podcast. An ex-radio announcer with over 20 years in marketing, Vince has been recognized by his peers with numerous awards, including being named a Fearless 50, a program designed by Adobe to recognize the top 50 marketers in the world who drive bold, fearless marketing and digital transformation. Previously the CMO at Sigma, Vince has founded multiple companies, including the Chasing the Insights Academy, where he empowers entrepreneurs and business owners to make sense of marketing and grow the business they have always dreamed of. I had a wonderful long conversation with Vince. We talk about how he made the easiest hard decision of his life, and it has to do with decision-making and resourcefulness versus fear of failure. Join me in welcoming Vince Warnock. Hey, Vince. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to have you. I am absolutely thrilled to be here, Trina. Seriously, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> I was hoping that you could give us a little rundown of from where you started to where you are now, because it's a really amazing story. Oh my goodness, yes. So, so once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. No, <laughs> so I always have to try and weasel in some aspect of Star Wars there. Uh, now, look, I've, um, I've, I've had a very varied career, um, been in and out of multiple different genres. Like I was a uh, radio announcer for many years on one of our top radio stations here, worked in a film school, I've done electronics computer engineering, but I've kind of been in and out of both entrepreneurship and corporate life through most of my career. And by that, I mean, early days, I created and failed a number of businesses, and then went running back to corporate. Uh, and then there were other times where I created and then succeeded. And I had just come off the back of 
uh, my largest uh, startup ever. So it was a, a company called Comma Ledger. It was a high growth tech startup. We built that over three and a half years um, and then we sold that off. That was a very emotional roller coaster, by the way. Uh, it was crazy. You can time. only imagine that's your baby. Oh, I know, I know. And it's it's so stressful as well. People don't tell, talk to you about this aspect, but we knew going in, there was myself and my co-founder, Drew, and we knew going into this, we were going to basically do six months of no income. It was like, mm. right, we are building this for six months before any kind of, before we can pay ourselves, essentially. So we knew we'd be churning, churning through our savings, all that kind of stuff. And by the way, did that at the same time, my wife decided that she wanted to change careers. So she had to go back and study to be an addictions counselor. She had this big passion to help people with addictions. So we did six months of no income. Then we raised a million dollars worth of seed funding. And we built the team from there. So we brought, brought on board another couple of co-founders and then started to build the team out. And over three and a half years, it got to the point where I think there was one time at Sydney Airport, because most of our clients were offshore, and I had brought all my co-founders with me over to a conference. And when we were finished, we got to the airport and I was like, right, we're in the business lounge there. We walk in and said, okay, guys, here's how it's going to go. I said, Drew, you go over in that corner over there. Brennan, you're over there. Carlos, you're over there. I'm staying right here. If any of you come near me, I will cut you. Like it was, <laughs> we were that, but you know, we've obviously me did all the relationships and things since then, but it was so stressful and it was so like, you're in the trenches nonstop and, and it was a crazy ride. And then we got to, you know, three and a half years in and um, I had an interesting conversation with my son. So I, I, the problem we had with this company was we had four co-founders. One was a lawyer, one was an accountant, one was a developer. That sounds like a really lame joke, by the way, um, but it's not. They all and walk into a me. bar. Yeah, exactly. And one was me, the marketer. So of all of those four people, who do you think you could put in front of prospective clients? Oh, that's right. It's me. And when all of our clients are offshore, that means I was traveling all the time. And for three and a half years, when you've got a young family, it's not helpful. So uh, mm. my son was 12 at the time, came back from Sydney and he sat me down. He said, oh, Dad, can we have a chat? I said, yeah, yeah, sure, man, sure. Sat next to me and he goes, uh, look, Dan, I know you're building a really good business, but we need to spend more time together. And when you hear that as a father, two things happen. First of all, I was really proud of the fact that we have in my whole family, we've got this relationship where we can be so emotionally honest with each other. We can tell each other how we're feeling and things without feeling any fear of judgment or rejection or anything like that. So that was half of me is just going, oh, this is amazing. That's an amazing thing for a 12 year old to do. I know, I know. He's just, oh, honestly, my kids are the best, obviously. Um, so I'm completely <laughs> biased, by the way. Um, but the other half of me just went, ouch. Yeah. And I, I just, I said, okay, I made a point, but I just said, actually, that's a really good point. Hold that thought picked up my phone and I saw the look on his face as I started to roll like, oh, dad's on the phone again. Uh, and I rang my co-founder to conference call. We jumped on a conference call and I said, hey guys, just to let you know, I'm out, I'm done. I need to spend more time with the family. I said, we, we had just crossed some major milestones like the valuation of the company was going through the roof. We had signed on all these new clients, um, thanks to my hard work, by the way. Um, yes. So I was like, now that we've done all this, I need to move on from there. And at that point, two things happened. One, on the other end of the phone, I learned a lot of new swear words because they were all being yelled at me over the other end of the phone. Um, but then yeah. when I hung up the phone, my son just looked at me and went, well, that was easy. And I said, you guys are a priority. That's how it works. And so I got massive kudos with the family for that one. The brownie points went through the roof. The next morning, I kind of woke up and went, wow, I feel so relieved. Like all that pressure is lifted off me. This is amazing. But wait, what's that thing that you need? You know, when you go down the grocery store, can I buy groceries with equity? It turns out you can't. You need an actual job and you need money. I was like, oh yeah. my goodness. So um, so I had to look for a job then. 
And then while, so at that point, I joined the team at Signal Insurance, uh, became the chief marketing officer there. And then we kind of looked at the situation with the company and we had a whole pile of people wanting to buy us anyway. And the fact that I was leaving meant it was a good opportunity. Uh, most of the investors had come on board because of the relationship with me. Most of the marquee clients had come on board from the work I put in there. So we didn't want to damage that at all. We ended up selling the company. And that was a total emotional rollercoaster. Like you said, it was my baby. Um, and there was points there where I'm like, I don't even know if I'm comfortable with this. I don't know if I want to do it. And then you see your bank balance and you're like, oh, I'm a-okay with this. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> we sold for an eight-figure exit after only three and a half years. I'm like, and when you're oh, the majority brilliant. holder, oh yeah, that's a nice position to be in. So so then I'm now full-time at Cigna as Chief Marketing Officer. And that was a crazy journey there over five years. And on paper, it looked spectacular. I think I've said this to you before, Trina, but Honestly, uh, I was getting all the wins. You know, we had, uh, this is a Fortune 100 company. Uh, mm -hmm. We'd doubled the revenue of it in the time that I was there. Uh, we'd gone from seventh largest to second largest insurer. Uh, and the thing that everyone said you can't do, like I went in there and everyone's going, oh, like, online sales, forget about it. You know, nobody buys life or, or medical insurance online. <laughs> it's far too complex. And I'm like, <laughs> hold my beer, you amateurs. This is what I do. <laughs> uh, so I took that from practically nothing to, to almost half of our revenue, uh, which was crazy. Um, so yeah, on paper, that's all looking amazing. Published my first book while I was there, um, went through, that was a roller coaster in itself, uh, and got the recognition. I was getting the recognition globally through, uh, most of the signal offices, but also external recognition as well. We won a slew of awards for all the work that we were doing, including being named by Adobe as one of the top 50 marketers in the world, um, which is incredible. And I remember thinking, this is all great. I'm getting paid ridiculous sums of money. I'm getting work that is getting recognition everywhere. I'm getting all the awards and I'm miserable. Mm. And I was sitting in my office. We, we have the largest building here in Wellington, New Zealand. Um, we have the largest building there. And I had the, the second nicest office. Obviously, the CEO had a nicer office than me. But I had this office where all the senior leaders would want to come to. I had my like Mad Men style whiskey cabinet there. <laughs> and you know, people would come in and be like, oh, you want a scotch? Not a problem. And we'd have a chat. But I just was so unfulfilled. And mm. I'm like, this is supposed to be the job that everybody aims for. You know, I'm chief marketing officer in a, at a Fortune 100 company. That is, that is one of the highest things you can do as a marketing professional. And yet I hate this. And the reason I hated it was I felt like I wasn't being myself. Mm. Like, when, you're, when you're at that level, everybody, everybody's a dollar sign. Everybody's a number. And I'm like, that's not how I'm wired. I'm a people person. I need to be impacting people I need to be helping them and I wasn't getting any of that there so so that was a really bizarre feeling I just wasn't enjoying that at all and then I started feeling really guilty about the fact that I was not enjoying it I was feeling really yes. guilty about the fact that if I tell people I'm unfulfilled they're going to go what you're a moron Vince like this is the yes. dream job and I'm like it is but it really isn't so um so that's when I made the easiest hard decision of my life um, November, December 2019, so all pre-COVID days, uh, I decided I needed to have some hard conversations with the CEO and said, look, that's it, I, I need to move on. She was like, no, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> and I went, well, it is. And I told her that my goal was to leave there and become a full-time author. I wanted to write my next book, which I was really passionate about. It's all about imposter syndrome. Um, and that's when it was like, right. And she goes, hold on. So you're leaving this, you know, like very well-paid job to, to basically become a bum. That was her version of being an author. 
And I was like, yeah, pretty much. And she goes, but you know how much we pay you. And I said, yes, I know how much we pay. I don't understand this. It's like, it's not about the money. And she goes, I really don't understand that. And I went, <laughs> aha, and that's why I'm leaving. So January, 2020, that was it. Um, I actually left with their blessing. It was really nice. So we had a massive farewell. It was really humbling. Um, and I left to become a full-time author, uh, which lasted about, lasted about a week uh, because I realized, and this is honestly, hindsight's wonderful, but I can be some dumb sometimes. I looked at this and went, wait, I've got ADHD and I'm leaving a high power job, which is like chaos incarnate, you know, to become a full-time author on one book. That doesn't work. So I got bored after a week, then started writing more than one book at the same time. Of course, launched my podcast, which has just been going gangbusters. Um, and then I accidentally found myself becoming a marketing coach. And the reason for that was, not long after I left Cigna, um, I'm interviewing all these different companies around the world uh, for my book. And of course, the pandemic hit. And all yes. of these companies said the same kind of thing, which is, look, Vince, we want to help you, but we're freaking out, man. We've got no income coming in. We've got all the same overheads. We literally don't know if we're going to exist in two months' time. And that broke my heart, like genuinely. Yeah. Uh, I love entrepreneurship. Um, I, I hold a very special place for entrepreneurs. Um, my, both my kids are entrepreneurs. My, you know, my wife's an entrepreneur. It's just, it's our world. So when you hear that, it's really hard pill to swallow. And I remember looking at my wife, Leanne, and she's like, you you can't let this go, can you? And I went, no, 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 no. And she goes, you have to help them, don't you? And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she goes, okay, then. So I asked them all if I could come alongside them and, and help them, you know, at least, at least give them some guidance and some advice. And they said, yeah, sure. So everyone said yes, which was awesome. But even better than that, we didn't have a single casualty. I uh, managed to turn them all around to profitable during a lockdown, which was incredible. Um, and even had some really staggering results. I had three of them uh, double their revenue, one triple their revenue off the back of that. And I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, that's this is brilliant. Yeah, well, it turns out doing, you know, I say 20 plus years, but it's more likely 30. I just don't like admitting yeah. how old I am. Uh, but yeah. 20 plus years in the industry means you actually do learn a thing or two. I was like, hey, this is really handy. Uh, and that's when all these people turn around and said, um, we want to pay you to do this. I'm like, pay me to do what? To coach us. I'm like, I don't play sport. What do you want about? They're like, no, no, <laughs> marketing coach. I went, oh, that's a thing. Because I, I was always a mentor. I didn't really understand yep. the world of yep. coaching as such. Um, but then I also realized I have this really strange feeling on the inside. And it was like this bubbling feeling. It's really hard to describe. And I'm like, it feels like it's bubbling Ooh. up all the time. Was it happiness? It was. It was fulfillment as well. I'm like, oh. I just feel alive. Uh, and that's what I realized. Why did I not do this sooner? But I know timing's everything. Um, but it was just, it was incredible. So that's that's where I, I'm at now is just kind of expanding how many entrepreneurs I can impact, expanding how many companies I can help and uh, doing that through multiple books. I've got a couple of books being published very shortly. Another couple early in the new year and then another couple later on and a couple of kids' books because, you know, um, I like to be creative um but also you know expanding my group program all these kind of things as well it's just oh it's so much fun trina vince thank mm. you for sharing the epic of vince warnock that <laughs> was amazing we need to unpack some of that okay let's do this because i mean it's inspirational from the very beginning and i think if we don't unpack it listeners might think oh well you know he created like um, multiple million or at least a million, multiple millions to start his first business. And they're starting their first business with like, you know, I got this much in the bank and I got some 401k that yep. I can, that I can use. Um, so I can't relate to this. Um, and so 
along the way, I mean, what did it feel like as you were building your business, the first one with the your one. partners um, yeah. before you were getting into it um, and you had that six months of no income? Oh my goodness. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was stressful. I would say though, I had had companies before that, which actually helped me with this because uh, one of my first ever kind of, like my first ever business, to be honest, was when I was 11 years old. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up in a really abusive household. Um, I grew up in poverty. I had nothing. And as a result, I wanted to survive and yeah. I would yeah. do anything to survive. And I remember my, my father, who was a very abusive man, he uh, was a rubbish, uh, rubbish truck driver and he would do commercial rubbish. And there was this company that had imported, and it's going to really show my age now, these old things called Sinclair ZX81s. They were old personal computers uh, before the like Commodore 64 and all those kind of <gasps> ones. With, I know, with rubber membranes, they were useless. Uh, the only thing, if, if anyone ever remembers the TV show, which I used to love called WizKids, they actually hacked the Pentagon on a Sinclair ZX81. Of oh. Real, and there's no way they could have done that, but it was just so cool. So I, he, um, this company had chucked out some of the faulty ones of that and they were known for being faulty and so he he picked them up and he had no idea what they was he's not a bright man and he was just like <laughs> mm, has buttons boy like buttons and he brought them home and gave them to me and at this was age 10 and then i was like okay well i could pretty much figure out what's wrong with these so i worked out that there was the membranes and there was an issue so i took them apart fixed them put them back together and then i had these personal computers and i'm like well i don't like these ones personally but these are so much fun so I asked around at school and a whole pile of people were like, yeah, we want them. So their parents bought them off me, made enough money from that to buy a Commodore 64, which is the greatest early computer ever. I still have mine. I just- My family had one. Uh, the only reason that I, I hated it was my brother played Space Invaders nonstop on it. <laughs> and the beep, oh beep, boop killed me. Yeah, he's, he's missing out. Should have been playing Barbarian. That was the coolest game ever. You got to do this axe move where you chop off this little 8-bit character's head and little blood gushes out. It was awesome. Um, but, but I also discovered at that point, age 11 now, right, with this Commodore 64. Um, and by the way, my parents had booted me out of home. I was living in a caravan in the backyard uh, with no power, no insulation. Middle of winter, I would wake up with ice on my chest. It was a horrible environment. But I got resourceful and I'm like, I've got this gadget. I can't plug it in anywhere. I have to wait till my parents are at work and sneak in, you know, wag school just so I can actually come in and use it. But then I decided in the middle of the night, uh, I don't need sleep. I've got this rare condition where I only sleep four hours a night. So I went out in the middle of the night and I dug this trench under the caravan, under the house, and I ran wires. And I basically wired up my caravan for power, tapping into their power. And how old were you? I was, uh, that, at the point I did that was around about, uh, probably 10, yeah, probably 10 and a half. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, uh, it was highly dangerous, by the way, because yes. I could have got a massive shot. <laughs> yes. But hey, it, it was logical. It worked. So I wired up this caravan and I blacked out the windows so they couldn't see when I had power on and all that. And I, I put some heating in there and I, I just got resourceful. But I also discovered that the Commodore 64, all the software, all the programs, all the games, everything were um, done on a cassette tape. And yeah. I'm like, well, cassette tapes can be copied. Huh. Now, I had no moral compass, so please don't judge me for this, everyone. My first ever business was age 11. Um, the, st the statute of limitations, I think, has passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always worried that Commodore is going to track me down one day. <laughs> so, yeah, but um, no, I, um, I was pirating this software and, and video games and things. And I would sneak into, there was a department store there because I didn't have a tape deck. And there's a department store there which had tape decks that you could buy, like boom boxes and that, that had high-speed doubling. So my friend would go up and distract the person behind the counter. I'd get my blank tapes out. 
quickly copying all these things and then selling them off to be i made a lot of money it was awesome uh, but that taught me a lot of lessons and then fast forward to uh one of my first ever full-time companies or one of the ones i wanted to take really seriously it was i want to take a, a brief we are not yeah. condoning illegal activity yeah. Yeah, please don't do what I did. Yeah. Like I said, no moral compass. Uh, every company I've had since then is above board, just saying. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, fast forward for a number of years and I, I launched a company called Mobile Combat. And um, this was this was a lot of fun. It was a mobile game that competes, uh, basically pitted Android users versus iPhone users versus the two or three people in the world that had Windows Mobile at the time. But it was in the early days of Android. So it was this competitiveness between the platforms. And I got a team together and we were building this thing out and it failed miserably. And it failed for a number of reasons. Like one of them was we had a developer that wasn't really suited for that. The other one was I misread the market conditions and mm -hmm. we had taken on board a massive sponsor. So one of our local telcos was like, we want in, this is going to be amazing. We're just going to do these custom campaigns in the game and all this kind of stuff. Uh, except they went to Apple and said, hey, we're doing this thing. And Apple went, no, no, you're really not. They went, what? And they said, we don't, we don't get compared to anybody. How dare you? Do not, if you have any association with this app whatsoever, and then told all the telcos, if you have any association with this app, we talk about how he made we the will easiest stop you from being decision able to sell of his life. IPhones, which of course and it has to do a big with decision like making and resourcefulness oh, versus so, yeah, we, failure. And we realized that this was a week. massive uphill battle. You don't and want to miss it. We started getting these notifications from Apple and you're like, yeah, we don't have the, we don't have the lawyers. We don't have the money to be able to fight yeah. them. Not that we were doing anything unethical or illegal or anything. It was just, they don't like being compared to other people. So, yeah. so I learned a lot there but all of that all of that you know, you know the early kind of failures the early kind of mistakes that i made prepared me for this journey so we knew going in that it was a calculated risk but it was still a risk and we did a year worth of research before we even jumped into that company and for me it was stressful because you've got kids you got a family you're leaving a well-paying job to basically not get paid for six months and yeah. I, I remember and the the clincher for me was talking to my wife about it uh, we went and got a kebab and we've banned ourselves from having kebabs now because every time we have a kebab, there's a special kebab shop we go to. We always end up making a major life decision. It's like another kid. Why not? We're having a kebab. You know, change jobs. Why not? We're having a kebab. Start a new company. Why not? We're having a kebab. So no more kebabs. Um, so, <laughs> but we're sitting there and I said to her, look, because I've been telling you her about this. You can put a social post up. My yeah, wife yeah. and I just went out for a kebab and everybody's going to be like, oh my God, Vince, what's, what's next? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, but, but I remember sitting there with her and I was like, okay, because I told her about this company, obviously she was on the journey with me and I said, look, it feels like now's the right time, but to do this, it's going to mean leaving this well-paying job. It's going to mean going in boots and all for something that we won't see a return for six months. And she's like, interesting. And I was like, that's not the response I wanted. And she goes, no, no interesting timing because now's the time where because she i'd known she'd wanted to pivot and change career she was trained as an early childcare teacher she just didn't have the passion for that at all anymore she's mm -hmm. done a lot of office work didn't have the passion for that she just really wanted to help people with addiction so she knew she had to retrain she goes uh but her hesitation was always the what if i what if i can't do this what if i can't learn again you know she didn't enjoy school at the best of times if i go back and i learn something like this and, and i fail at it what's that going to mean but now she felt ready and we're like, okay, so I'm leaving a high paying job and building this company for six months with no income. You're leaving a high paying job and basically training. So no income for even more than six months. And she just turned around and looked at me and said, yeah, but when have we never landed on our feet? 
And that was the moment I realized we're in this Ooh. together. Like yeah. we're back to back, like bad boy style, you know, guns are blazing. No one, no one can get us. We're swinging around. Um, I realized that no matter what we face, we're going to do this together. And if we make a mistake, if it doesn't work, we will just change decision and do something else. It's as simple as that. We can always pick ourselves up again. So my, my son thought it was hilarious. He was the highest earner in our house. So, <laughs> yeah, I, sw- I swear he thought he was the Don, you know, the mafia. He was sitting there going, hey, you want some money? You'll come and talk it to me, you know? <laughs> you want to buy a coffee? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you come to me. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was stressful, but we were on a, we were on a journey and we, were on a, we had a plan as well. I knew there was an accelerator program coming up. I knew if we go into that, a big portion of it was demo day where you you basically pitched to a pile of investors and I'm going, well, hello, what am I naturally good at? Public speaking, pitching to people, getting people on board, selling the vision. This is what I do. So I was like, okay, I knew that going into this, we had a really, really good chance of, of getting a return. Uh, we were going to raise half a million dollars. We actually raised, I think, around one and a half million, but we turned down about half a million because they, the type of investors weren't right for us, uh, mm-hmm. which really, really peed them off, but that's okay. Uh, I got to jump in with a couple of things because so rich. Um, One thing that strikes me and that I think um, most entrepreneurs who are, who tend to hit a lot of success is um, resourcefulness. Yeah. And you showed that very early on at 10, 11 years old Mm. Um, needing something's got to work. So let's find a way to do it. Yeah. You know, well, it's, I don't it's know. Simple. Let's find out. Yeah. It's a simple thing is it, and I'm going to totally steal. Uh, I can't remember her name now, Marie Folio, whatever well, her name is. That, yeah. The everything's whole thing's figured everything's, out. Everything's, figure, yeah, figure out and, yeah. and it really is. It really is. Um, we have this weird thing as entrepreneurs often that we think, oh no, like I, I was talking to an entrepreneur recently. They were really caught up on their logo. They're like, I'm designing this new business. I'm designing the logo. I'm thinking, well, if you're caught up on that, we've got bigger issues. Let's, let's try and build other things here. But they were like, no, no, but I just, I don't know about my color palette. You know, I'm thinking about yellow and black, but then I might go orange and purple. But what if I don't? And I'm like, well, who cares? I said, if you make a decision and you don't, and you're not happy with it, you know what you can do? And they went, what? And I said, you can make another decision. They're like, what? And you could see the light go on where they're like, huh, because we have this weird mentality that, once we make a decision, we have to die by that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we start a new company and it doesn't work, right, we can we can adapt, we can pivot, we can try different things. If that doesn't work, shut it down, do something different. You always yeah. can get back from these things. You know, you're not, you, it's not life or death. Nobody dies if you find that the company didn't work, you know. So yeah, so resourcefulness is an interesting one. I think it's built into all of us, but we have this fear this yes. whole fear of failure that kicks in where we're like, we don't want to be resourceful because if we are, it might not work, you know? And if it doesn't work, what does that say about us? It's the little stories that run around in our minds of like, if this doesn't work, what what does it say about me? Also, especially if you are in a service or a um, business where you're serving and helping people, you know, and you wrap so much of your ego into helping and supporting people and in your specific way of doing things. Yeah. And what if that doesn't work out? Well, does that mean I'm dumb? Does that mean I'm not enough? Does that mean it means nothing other than now you have yeah. a chance to do it a different way? 
You've learned exactly. what hasn't worked. Um, and I love what you mentioned about decisions, because I think there was, um, there have been numerous articles out in the business world about one of the things that set good leaders, good CEOs apart is their ability to make rapid decisions, well thought out, well considered, but yeah. fast decisions. The faster you make your decision, the faster you see a result and the faster you see the result, if it's not what you desire to see, you can pivot. Exactly. You can yeah. make another fast re um, fast decision. Yeah. I got two, two bits of advice around this as well, by the way, which I learned through my career. One of them is crazy, but trust me, like hear me out on this one. If you're on the fence and you can't make a decision, here's what you do. You grab a giant glass of water. You drink that water until your bladder is full and you're like, oh, I really need to go to the bathroom. And then you sit there and you don't go to the bathroom. You sit there and you go, right, now I need to make this decision before I can go to the bathroom. That sounds really random. It's like holding yourself to ransom, but there is a reason for it because the part of the brain which tells you not to pee yourself is also <laughs> the part of the brain that makes these rapid decisions. So you're actually activating a different area of your brain. And it sounds crazy, but there's a bunch of research. That not crazy. That's about. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing too is you've got to remove yourself from the result. And yeah. what I mean by that is, and this is what I teach. Uh, my first book is around um, experimentation and adding experimentation into marketing. And one of the challenges I found with that is it's all well and good to say, right, we're putting an experimental framework in there. But then you immediately come up against a massive problem, which is everyone's cognitive bias. And I would see this in team after team after team where you're going, all right, we're going to run this experiment. And they go, yep. And it's not going the way that they wanted it to. So therefore they look for every, like you run a campaign, for example, and they're going, oh yeah, we may have not got the signups, but we got a record amount of likes on Facebook, or we got record amounts of views on YouTube. Woohoo! It's a massive success. No, it's not no. a success. It, it's not a Conversions all. are a success. Exactly. But what would happen is they would tie themselves to the result. So one of the things I had to teach people was it's not about success and failure. It's not about win or lose. That's not how we approach these things. We treat everything and treat every decision as a hypothesis. And we go, if we have a hypothesis, our role, our, our goal is really, really simple. It is to prove or disprove that hypo hypothesis. So both of those are actual wins. Because yeah. if you prove your hypothesis, great, you get the result that you were looking for. If you disprove the hypothesis, again, tongue tied now, hypothesis, then you have learned and you have yeah. gained a whole pile of insights, which is where the whole concept of chasing the insights comes from. Um, so and a classic example of this was one of my team members where we ran a we used to run these lead generation campaigns and we ran this lead generation campaign and we ran this competition on Facebook and honestly the amount of response we got was phenomenal. But one of the things he noticed was in the in looking like pulling apart the campaign and seeing what worked and what didn't, he noticed that there was a really strong kind of altruistic bent to it where everyone was going, because we were giving away a thousand dollars, I think it was, um, to do with as you will. And the whole concept was winter is coming uh, without getting sued by HBO Max. But anyway, um, so winter is coming. So you're going to tell us how you're going to spend this money for winter. And we discovered the whole pile of people are like, well, actually, there's a family down the road that really need heating. So what I'll do is I'll give a portion to them to buy them some new heaters. But then for myself, I want to do something to, to you know, to treat myself. Yeah. And we noticed this trend over and over again of people wanting to do something really good for someone else as well as themselves. So he hypothesized that we could do a campaign where you gain nothing, right? You enter the competition and you get to choose where the money goes or where the prize goes. And uh, we so we thought, right, this is a good way. This is a good hypothesis. We want to test this. 
worst campaign we've ever done in our life honestly we got to the point we were giving away five prizes and we had like a few days left and only had four entries we normally got by the way ten thousand entries to these competitions wow it was like this this is not going well um <laughs> and we got to the end of that and we ended up getting enough entries and, and you know we gave it away and all this kind of thing um but we got to the end of that and i looked at him and he was deflated and i'm like dude what do we remind ourselves and i know it's an experiment i said yeah but you realize what you've done he goes what i said you've shown us where the bar is we no longer need to experiment below that bar we know that if we have nothing in it for you it is not going to work at all so now we'll make sure there's always an element in our campaigns of this and that's a learning that we gain and an insight we gain from your campaign so um, it still didn't help him fully. He was depressed for a couple of days, but he got over it. <laughs> so yeah, but you have to you have to remove yourself from the result of that. You have to realize that you, these are all tests. A decision is just a decision. You're proving or disproving, but at the end of the day, you are still you're still you. You don't change if something fails or something succeeds. Succeeds. Stay tuned for the second part of Vince's interview, where we talk about the entrepreneur's brain's way of saying you are exactly where you need to be. And that's coming up in late March. And stay tuned for next week, folks, because I'll be talking with John Paul Crimi. We'll be talking about addictions and relationships and using breathwork to stop running your life based on fears and past trauma. John Paul is originally from Boston, but in his early 20s, he moved to LA and quickly became one of the most sought after celebrity trainers and sober coaches in the country. Unexpectedly, he found himself in a breathwork class and had a massive transformation that very first time. Knowing he had to share this technique, he not only began teaching but developed his own unique style and quickly began selling out classes all over LA. John Paul has also appeared on Good Morning America and has been featured in the Huffington Post and the Hollywood Reporter. You can find him on countless talk shows and podcasts, both domestically and internationally, as he continues his work to make breathwork more accessible and mainstream. John Paul believes there is no one who can't benefit from this practice, and he has the Olympians, Oscars, Emmy, and Grammy winners to prove it. Witnessing people visibly transform, often after just one session, is why he greets each day excited to turn people towards their most authentic selves, and he has made it his life's work to reach as many people as possible. It was a thrill and an honor to interview John Paul Crimi, and I can't wait to share this with you. So stay tuned for next week, folks. You don't want to miss it. Hey, thanks for listening. I truly hope you got something out of this episode that you can immediately implement in your life or business. If so, one of the easiest ways you can help me is to please rate, review, and follow this podcast. When you do, you help me reach other heart-centered and socially conscious entrepreneurs just like you. By the way, if you are a driven entrepreneur at the top of your game, yet find your consistent successes aren't feeling like you thought they would, I also have a special invitation to share with you. Especially if you are ready to go deep and stop the self-doubt, self-sabotage, overwork, overwhelm, exhaustion cycle that is holding you back from experiencing success that truly feels like success. I invite you to book a call with me. 
We'll have an intimate conversation about you and your business, and we'll talk about what's holding you back from regulating your nervous system, priming yourself for flow, and elevating your emotional intelligence so that your journey of success feels fulfilling and deeply satisfying. If you still need more help at the end of our call, and it makes sense to both of us, we'll talk about what it would look like to work together. If this sounds good to you, click the Book Trina link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for next week. And remember, be awesome!